I think it's interesting that when Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls, that that's in the context of him saying, take my yoke upon you. So what we're seeing there is that finding rest for your soul might not be finding rest for your shoulders. And so rest and activity are not mutually exclusive categories. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. We wanted to do something a little bit different today. Take a break? <laughs> In a manner of speaking. Uh, yeah. Yes. As you did there. We want to talk about rest. So a number of years ago, several prominent Christian writers were asked, what is the most important spiritual discipline for our day? And every one of them said rest, which was a surprise. I think most of us, when we hear about the spiritual disciplines, I think the first one that usually comes to mind for most people, the default is probably fasting or something along those lines. They all said rest. And they all talked about their own particular hectic schedules. All of them were writers and they one of them was a pastor they had lively speaking ministries and they were writing books some of them were teaching and so their roster was really full and they were what you would call successful and all the pitfalls that come with success this overcrowded schedule those those were the those were the things that they were dealing with but they were talking a lot about how it is crucial for our souls to build in rest. And it was interesting for, I think a lot of us hear that, but, and especially we, we have a little bit of, maybe we have a bit of a sardonic grin on our faces, <laughs> especially. So people who are at the stage that Nathan or I, Nathan and I are at, for instance, who have, we, so we, we have small children. We, we might be tempted to say, all right, yeah, absolutely. Could, definitely use some rest. I know it would absolutely improve so much in my life. It's not going to happen. It just isn't possible. We're just not at that stage. We don't have any space to do that. So rest is a luxury we don't have. And there's a lot of truth to that. But I think we want to talk about rest in a little bit more of an expansive way. It doesn't just need to mean, you know, downtime and sleep Let's face it, you don't have to have kids, by the way, to be in a phase of life where that's just not possible. So what does rest look like in the real world for all of well, us? Hang on, yeah, when hang on you a can't afford yeah. to do the retreat. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, so I think there's a um so I'm trying to think there so there's a difference between rest and downtime because we live at one of the most convenient phases ever in human history, as far as the amount of time we don't have to spend doing certain things. But I, so I would say that we all make time for downtime or non-working time, but mm -hmm. that's different than resting. And so that's, um, that's a question in my mind. So how I don't would you know tease if, out that difference? Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out because I'm not sure that it's a function of time. I mean, right. And that would go toward, and I, th I think that's really important because that would go toward the more expansive way of looking at rest. Mm-hmm. If it's not just a function of time, it can be, of course. Well, because because you can get worn out by fun more. activities. Oh, most definitely. Some <laughs> of us more so than others. 
I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just I'm just trying to dis- delineate it from being a feature of time. Uh, I mean, that is a component of it, but it it isn't entirely just that. Well, rest has to do. I think one 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 very I think common aspect, or or it seems seems to me one of the the obvious aspects of rest is that it involves you. It's more than yeah. So downtime has has more to do with your kind of leisure activities or your unwinding, but rest has to do with you stepping out of productivity mode in a different kind of Mm -hmm. way. And I think this is going to have a big bearing for a lot of us because we don't, we may not recognize this, but a powerful default setting of our culture is that you basically should be, you earn your value as a person by your output. You're judged by your output and productivity is a huge goal for many of us. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with being productive. As it was for Marx. So let's just throw that in there. Right. (laughs) Let's just throw that in. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being productive, of of course. And yeah, and going through your to-do list and being efficient in your tasks. But there is something wrong with starting to slide into a more mechanistic view of a human being. And there is something wrong with looking at yourself almost like you're some kind of a machine. And there is definitely something wrong in thinking that you're not valuable unless you're producing stuff all the time. Yeah. The, I think, well, the, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, so just to, to reiterate what Cameron is saying there, I think that is deeply, we almost have to justify our own existence by proving our value, which is, Right, not the proper way to look at human value, and it also shows why we really don't know what to do with children or the elderly. So, what right. do you do with the value of people who aren't producing economically measurable widgets? Um, so, there, there's some pretty broad cultural impacts on how. Like, so we might say, "Oh, rest, that's nice," but actually, it, the way we talk about rest says a lot more about how we value humanity and time. And, and, and we'll see some other features. So I'm, I'm saying part of the reason that maybe it isn't surprising that it's such an important thing is because how we treat it is such a clear indicator of what we think about so many other categories of life. So why is rest so difficult for us? I think you teased out one really important factor, Nathan. We have this unspoken assumption I think it's it's just it's a tacit assumption that we have to earn our value and cessation from all of our regular activities means well, that okay, we somehow because, become so we're, useless. We're as, as Christians, though, we're anti-sloth. Um, most people do not want to be uh, characterized as lazy or uh, or not responsible or irresponsible people. So the the flip side i think we think of being irresponsible with our time and our resources of being lazy of um not being slothful the opposite of all of those we automatically think of as not restful activities so i i think it's mm-hmm. the i think it's an overreaction to some some decent cautions particularly if you're like in the millennial age where you've you know age range where you've been um or gen z where you know everybody's like oh it's a bunch of lazy just want to drink coffee and you know live in their parents' basement. I think there's an overreaction to that stereotype that drives people into uh, brackets mm. of activity that aren't necessarily productive. It's just that you have to 
maintain your activity because activity gives you the illusion of productivity. Sure. But if we, if we take a more expansive view of rest and we think for a second about how we would work it into the rhythms of say an extremely busy week, if, if we're people who just find ourselves in, in places where, okay, you can't get away for a retreat. You can't, because often when these, this, these conversations have, have come up in the past, for me at least, Nathan, there is a frustrating element where the person will say, well, you, you need to you know, have times where you go on retreats, you've got to do this, you, gotta get, you have to take these digital fasts, and they start laying out all of a list of what would be luxury activities. Mm-hmm. So we have to have we, we have to have ways to build this into our everyday lives. And a really important voice here, actually, and he wasn't one of the three <laughs> ministry leaders who was asked about this, but a really important voice here is Dallas Willard. And in fact, some of you may know the phrase ruthless elimination of hurry. That actually that's the title of John Mark Comer's book, which is a bestseller. And I have it on good authority that it's a very worthwhile book. I haven't read it myself, but that phrase is Dallas Willard. And he would often talk about rest as being an essential part of a human life. And of course, as we'll see, that's what scripture sees rest as an essential part of human existence as well. But Willard would point out that if you, if you don't have it, for instance, if you, don't, if you build no rest into your, your life, it's not just that your moods will suffer, but you you actually will experience real spiritual harm. Your judgment is impaired. Yes, your moods are drastically affected, but those moods are a byproduct of deeper problems. But he would also talk about how we can find creative ways, even in a very busy schedule. I mean, I'm thinking of somebody like a single mom with several children or somebody in that category who is just working so hard and trying to keep everybody fed, trying to get everything done. What would rest look like in those circumstances? And I think part of it has to do with finding ways to fit solitude in there, whether that means certain points in your day where you don't have any music playing or any podcasts playing, except for ours, just kidding, where you <laughs> where you build in intentional silences or when you find quiet moments. I mean, we all have we all have moments in the time that we've that we've been given. I've always found it very convicting when C.S. Lewis somewhere says that it's not my time, it's the time the Lord has given to you. So the time that we have been given, some of it, some of us may feel that it's extremely limited. We have spaces in there. And we can take those spaces to breathe. To, to, to sit in silence and to allow ourselves some respite. It is possible to do that, but we have to, we have to do it intentionally. I think, Nathan, I suspect you'll, you'll have some thoughts here too. We often underestimate, we have more time at our disposal than we often realize. It's just that we, we often drift into using it for entertainment purposes or filling filling our our world with noise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah let me um, suggest a couple lines of thinking here that kind of supplement what you're saying and address the question in some way um i believe well first of all so you're talking about like i can't get away on a retreat if you look at the biblical concept of sabbath that was done in your home 
And so there's almost this weird, like, oh, I need to go somewhere and schedule something and pay somebody in order for me to rest. That totally defeats (laughs) the entire concept of what rest actually is. So I think there's a, um, rest has high market value. I mean, the promise of what we will sell you so that you can get away to recover, um, from a economically driven system is, is hilarious. Uh, And I'm not saying don't, don't, don't take vacations, but I don't think you want to see that as a necessary component of what it means to rest, um, biblically speaking. So there's that part of it. There's another element here that we have to be very careful about. So, um, Judith Schultz wrote a book called the Sabbath world. She's Jewish. Um, and she made an interesting observation that when she was writing her book, she looked at Christian books on the Sabbath and on rest on Amazon and found that the vast majority of them were actually written about resting and recovering and taking a Sabbath as a, as a, as a life hack to prepare you to be more productive on the other side of the rest. <laughs> um, which so again is just, uh, yeah, just, a, you can work harder if you rest. And so this was a, yep. a strategic pragmatic. So again, funny, but not funny. Um, and we're not talking about that. So we're not talking about needing to go away somewhere else. We're not talking about strategically, um, recharging your batteries so you can go out mm-hmm. there and hit it again. Um, there's another interesting line that comes in. Uh, I think a- Andy Crouch makes a distinction between rest and leisure. And he says that yeah. leisure is when you're um, taking it easy based on somebody else's work. So think of a cruise, for example. You're Somebody's cooking all your food and washing your towels and all of that, but that's leisure. You're, you're resting in somebody else's work where he says that true biblical rest is the rest that you achieve when you look back at what has been accomplished and see that you don't need to do more and that God controls and runs the world. And so it's on the back end of what you personally have produced or accomplished and what, and, and properly seeing that in the framing of what God is doing that you feel like I can pause here and God can run the world without me. Um, so there's a satisfaction um, that's part of rest that comes from our own good work. And then there's a dependency element of that, which I think is similar in fasting where we see, um, God, God sustains me. He's the one that makes that happen. So there's that element of it. And then finally, one other one, um, if you're interested in a resource that kind of takes the, the broader view, um, Walter Brueggemann's Sabbath as resistance is a good little book that would say more about what our rest says about human value and, um, some of those bigger concepts uh, as it relates to our economic systems and the and the way that we think responsibly about not narrowing people down into just economic units. So with all of those, I'm trying to kind of cut off the the rabbit trails that are in directions that aren't where we want to go with this. And I guess, Cameron, the, the question that's been brewing in my mind is, can you be working and resting at the same time? Is, is there a sense in which activity properly contextualized is seen to be good? Um, and, and I'm, and I'm not trying to, yes, so, so, so people, re- so people like rest by gardening or by right sewing mm-hmm. or cross stitching or like where there's an activity yep. embedded in it, Hiking, but it's contextualized you know? in a sense. Yeah. Help me out there. What am I trying to say? Well, no, I think what you're trying to say is if I'm reading you correctly is very important. So rest wouldn't preclude activity as we're as mm-hmm. as it's being spoken of here yeah so gardening hiking you know these are all really good examples i think 
often of something that I heard a pastor say once about Mary and Martha. He talked about, so we all, <laughs> we all know Mary and poor Martha, Martha in the kitchen. And she's, she's very, she's very worried about hospitality. And I've always had a lot of sympathy for Martha in the kitchen because I tend to be a bit of a Martha in the kitchen myself, literally. So cooking is restful for me. So we can come back to that. I love cooking and I like take, I like hospitality. I like taking care of people. So when we, we talked about, we talked, we, we, we did our, we already did our podcast on traditional or toxic masculinity and traditional gender roles and masculinity. So I should have brought this fact up in that episode because that's kind of funny. Because Heather Heather tends to be really good at figuring out how things work and doing some of that manual stuff. And she'll, so when her dad is over, her and her dad are both doing that, and I'm in the kitchen cooking everybody a meal. Hey, everybody, come in for dinner. Anyhow, so Martha and Mary, this pastor pointed out that it's possible to reverse their roles, so to speak, and still get the same result. So Mary's at the feet of Jesus, right? And she she is, her heart is resting in her Lord. But he pointed out that the problem is not that, that Martha is in the kitchen. The, the rebuke, the, so, the soft rebuke from our Lord comes because she is anxious about many things. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out it's totally possible that Martha could have been in the kitchen stirring you know, the the soup and scrubbing the pots and doing all of all of those chores with a heart completely resting in her lord and at ease and that she would have then been in a restful posture so yes i think it's i think it's possible i think well, okay hang on let me some, let's let's make yeah. this personal real quick <clears throat> so Raise okay. your hand. We can't see you, podcast listeners. Have you ever um, been anxious and fretting and discontented and restless in church <laughs> on right, on Sunday yes. morning? And I would imagine that at some point, everybody here should raise their hand on that one. Um, right. So in some sense, context and location maybe isn't the best yeah, external signifier of success in this. Sure. But also, I mean, I think often of Friar Thomas Hopko, one of his 55 maxims of Christian living is do your work and then forget about it. So that's describing a posture of rest as well, because most of us do our work and then worry a ton about it. I know mm-hmm. I do. I mean, I, I do the work and then I worry, wow, was this good enough? And then I worry that oh, I'm not getting enough affirmation. I need somebody to praise the work I've done. And then you think, oh, well, am I, you know, should, should I even be doing this in the first place? And we experience an existential crisis in between answering emails. But <laughs> part of that, again, the basic, the hum, the machinery of our world is all tuned to that same frequency that tells you, you got to, you have to justify your worth. Okay. And again, so, but, the, but there's yeah. a scripture here that speaks to this. So this is Jesus's classic, don't be anxious, don't worry. Um, why do you mm-hmm. worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear? Um, the pagans run after these things. So those who have no God spend their lives stressed right. out about basic necessities. So the critique then of those of us who claim to worship and follow a good God, if we're burning our candle at both ends, trying to achieve the things that those with no gods pursue, that doesn't speak highly of our proper orientation and understanding of how the world actually works. No, right. Who's, whose hands is the world in? 
Yeah, I think often about that. I remember thinking, even when you're in a posture of, when you're praying, for instance, there can come, if, if, you, if you pray for a, for a longer time, and you, you come to a point where you just recognize the world will continue to, to spin and, to, and, to, and, and events will unfold. And if I am not immediately immersed in some you know, action or other, answering some email right this very instance or another, the world will continue to turn. It's not all in my hands. And it kind of, I think so much of our restlessness is predicated on inadvertently putting ourselves in the center of the universe as well, which is some of what I think you were getting at there. Mm -hmm. When we recognize God's place and our place. Now, again, don't hear Nathan and I inveighing against productivity or working hard. Both of us believe in work and hard work. And hard work is, I mean, you are made to work. Work is a good thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, I mean, you have a calling on your life, you have talents and gifts, and you're made to use them, but they're not there to save you or to justify your existence. So I, it's interesting. You're, you're fleshing out here two pitfalls. One is to see yourself as the center of the universe, meaning that you have to keep it going. And one is to put yourself at the center of the universe, meaning that everything is there to please and serve you, and therefore you don't have to do anything. And so there, there are sure, two yep. extreme vision, versions of action or inaction that come from the same wrong heart about how important you are to the overall system. But I think it fits with what, you know, so Jesus' statement about taking his yoke upon us and you will find rest for your souls. You don't usually think of taking a yoke on and finding rest. And so there's that <laughs> right. thing you were hinting at of proper properly organized activity not being antithetical to deep satisfaction um and rest i'd say when jesus is backing up your points they're good ones cameron and the reckon yes that's right good rule of <laughs> might thumb. be the other the way around there just <laughs> that you're yeah you're you're not alone and you're co-laboring with your with your lord and i've always been so struck by that image of you know my the gentle yoke it's it's an astonishingly humble picture that jesus is giving to us i mean this is the this is the lord of all creation and he has a he this is a picture of beasts of burden yoked together as always that's always made that's just made quite an impression on me over the years as i've thought about that but we're not alone in our pursuits and i think huge soul liberation takes place when we pursue the Lord and are, are, and are able to come to a point where we recognize that everything does not depend on us. And I mean, obviously there's a narcissist, narcissistic element to that, but there's also, again, we have a culture that ruthlessly and relentlessly just forces on you the notion that you've got to earn your keep. When you can see yourself delivered from that mindset, a good deal of rest, a good deal of soul rest enters into your life almost automatically. It doesn't mean that you have any less activities. It doesn't mean that your schedule gets less busy. But also, and here, I think, let's go in this direction just for, for a second, Nathan. We talk, We I do know a lot of, I do hear a lot of complaints, and I make a lot of these complaints myself about how busy we are. We're too busy. We're doing too much. 
But I also have to recognize that the person, the people responsible for that hectic schedule, for the most part, are me and my wife. (laughs) And there are many days where I have to say, we have to say, we have done this to ourselves. So it's true that there's a there's a ruthless sense of of hurry and this big push, but it's it's also true that we're overloading ourselves on mm-hmm. a pre- pretty regular basis. We we all have to learn the fine art of saying no to good things. Oh yeah, but is so I okay. This is not. I'm with you. And oftentimes, if I'm on vacation or I have a moment of rest, I sit down and I come up with a list of things to do and I brainstorm other projects and ideas. Like, so I use my downtime to make more work for myself. So keep that in the back of your mind with what I'm about to say. Because is it possible that we overload our schedules in order to avoid being quiet with ourselves? So is it is it actually well, a busyness yes. or is it an avoidance <laughs> sometimes? that we don't want to rest. Yes. And I think we keep, I go back to this guy all the time. Blaise Pascal is the great, I think, exponent of modern despair in some ways. And he talks about that. He says, we fill our lives with so many distractions. He uses the word diversions, the diversions. And you could just think of that as relentless activity because we just can't bear to actually any real introspection. We can't bear to face our, our thoughts. There are many things we're hiding from. And that's going to be a major barrier to true rest, by the way, as well. Mm-hmm. If you have many unresolved issues, many, a lot of, if you have a lot of conflict in your life and you've, you've found ingenious ways to avoid it, or you've just tried to activity as a verb here, activity your way out of it. Those, yeah, I mean, that that creates massive psychological pressure. And Activitying your way into be uh, into humaning better. Yes. How, so I think, up? well, and so, I mean, and that's where we, we talk about rest. There's a bit of a paradox here because in order to come to a place of rest, it certainly looks as though some work has to be done. <laughs> for, yeah, okay. For well, many of us, we have to, yeah. Well, let me say something about that um, because we've thus far talked about rest as looking back on what has been done, but there's a massive mm-hmm. biblical theme of rest as a promise and a future condition that humanity was made for. And so there's, I, I guess as you were saying that, I was thinking there's a little bit of a both and here. If you think about Israel in the wilderness being promised a land flowing with milk and honey, okay, that's awesome. However, milking cows and keeping bees is not doing nothing. Like there's a, there's a significant amount of work to keeping, um, a promised land and promised land condition. I mean, so there's a, uh, there's a both end there, but then this idea of embedded, I mean, this is in the 10 commandments, the idea of God, uh, crafting into the fabric of creation rest as a routine for humanity, not just because it's good for us physically in the present, but because it's also a covenant act that points to the fulfillment of a promise in the future, that's a different thing as well. So it's not about recharging myself and it's not always about finding satisfaction in the work that uh, I have done. There's also an element of rest where we're saying, I am not doing anything um, except enjoying what is 
as mm-hmm. a participation in the covenant of the promise of what it is that is promised to come um, in the end of all things. So, I mean, yeah, so, th- take talk talk with me about that a second. Well, there's a yeah. So the, the let's call that the future tense aspect of rest. And in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews has mm-hmm. a good deal to say. You should look at you should count the number of times the word rest occurs in the book of Hebrews, and it's all very anticipatory. Because I mean, Hebrews, of course, we're 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 told we're we're you know we're looking for a this is a, a city and a better city. So this is the anticipation of the really the rewards of Christ's victory and our rest in our in our Lord. So, and then again to to ring in that paradoxical theme once again, the great another word that is used repeatedly in scripture and paul is paul is big on this is of course endurance (laughs) endurance doesn't really make us think of of rest usually right (laughs) you think of a marathon runner something something along those lines but in that sense we, we we build in rest on the one hand there's the looking at back aspect that we talked about and those are those are moments of i think practical and tangible rest where we do as distinct from leisure, I like I like Andy Crouch's distinction there, where we're not, you know, basically dependent on somebody else's work to enjoy ourselves. But we're yeah, we're we're looking back and we're resting. There's a sense of contentment and gratitude. But then there's the the looking ahead to a future rest that is secured by a promise, and that is something that that keeps you going. That's the light at the end of the tunnel that's the hint of a finish line. And so we're not there yet when it comes to that, you know, that final final glorious rest, but it's that future tense rest is a promise that is part of what puts our puts a spring in our step. So that's I'm not sure whether that is making much much sense, but those are those are two I think you've brought out the two as, major aspects of of rest as we're looking at it biblically and considering its place in in human life. Okay. So, I think we we did a good run around there. Um and at the end of this I want to read a little passage out of Hebrews. But before we we kind of take the theoretical and we look at you kind of tying a theological bow on it at the end, what are some of those practical activities yep. that we can do? to cultivate wholesome rest in the midst of a chaotic world. And so, yeah, all right, we can start by eliminating the ridiculous stuff that we foist upon ourselves. We can start by, oftentimes, confession here, the times in which I'm stressed out about something are when I'm I'm taking myself way too seriously and overvaluing my responsibility in the situation. Um, I'm bearing sure. a burden yeah. that I couldn't even if I could do what I thought needed to be done, it wouldn't solve the problem. So, so okay, so there's that whole elimination factor of setting things mm-hmm. aside. Um, but, okay, so let's say we can do that effectively, silence alarms, notifications on emails, alarms on phones, um, carve out times for actual solitude. Um, and, I, and I like that idea of solitude. Jesus uses that. I've, in some of my thinking with younger folks who are new Christians, instead of using the word quiet time, use solitude. Um, once we generate that and we carve out the space for that, let's say we can designate 20 minutes a day to that. 
how, what then? Um, how then do we know if we're genuinely resting? What are the, I don't know. I'm, I'm legitimately Some asking indicators and, and, and everybody else here can chime in and send us an email and let us know what the real answer is <laughs> here. But I just want to spitball some of the, like the practical, practical yes, things I we think, could be doing or how do we know if we have? No, I think that's so important. And that needs to be the heart of what we're saying right now, because I, th I think you don't want to get lost in the theoretical, uh, especially on a topic like rest. So you mentioned if I, I love, Man, man, I, I just, I need to get a commission. But okay, Dallas Willard's <laughs> formula here, in general, for a spiritual pursuit, for any pursuit, the example he uses in the renovation of the heart to to make this really practical is learning a different language. Hmm. But he says, in order to learn a different language, you need three things: you need vision, you need intention, and you need means. And he says that the reason so many people struggle learning a language is because they don't really get a vision for how it could be helpful to them or what what doors it would open to them it just doesn't seem that practical but he does mention that the word that the language english a lot of people will learn that very quickly because they can just see huge practical usage for learning english and and mm -hmm. opportunities and so you got the vision and then you got it and then you have to have the intention you're going to you will do this you formulate a plan and then you got to have the means you got to read the books. You got to go to the classes. Maybe you travel to a different country. You do the full immersion thing. So any any pursuit. So when it comes to rest, you got to have vision, intention, means. You got to have a vision for it and and how it can improve your life. So, but then some of those means. That's what you were talking about, Nathan. Yeah. So taking your schedule down a few notches. It's amazing though when we look at our schedules. At least, okay. I'm going to speak personally here, then, and just with. <laughs> Assuming that a lot of people are going to find this relatable, a lot of what is in a schedule, usually, you could tack the word performance next to it, especially mm. if you have children. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are, and now there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, you know, making connections, so to speak, and seeking out opportunities, but there is something wrong with turning your whole life into a social performance. And we live in a cultural moment that is, that stresses that, I think to a to a more intense degree than than we have in ages past in the social media age where everything is about putting your best foot forward and making that impression so you can you can par you can you can pare the schedule down you do have time to devote you will have time to devote to to solitude and it may it may not be huge amounts of time but you have it it's just making the choice that you really value, that you really value this and you really want to do this, that will make the difference. But then how do we gauge whether this is being effective? I think one powerful indicator, Nathan, in my own life at least, and I don't always do this well, so just full disclosure, but one powerful ind indication is that frenetic sense of urgency and anxiety that almost is almost like white noise in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. goes down remarkably. I mean, I, I have experienced seasons where it's absent entirely. When I'm when I'm being faithful in 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 my in my practices of of rest. Are you speaking of the pinball in your brain as you're trying to fall asleep? <laughs> right. No, no, it doesn't no. And actually, there but there's another you just brought up another clear indicator. And Nathan, we talked a lot about this um during COVID-19 when there was so 
What was so what was so revealing about COVID nineteen was this was a time of massive turmoil worldwide. Just because, regardless of what, of how seriously how serious you thought the actual virus was, there was just all the upheaval that came along with it. And then on top of that, Nathan and I were <laughs> were uh, in a situation where our Transition. whole professional lives were turned Trans- completely Transition upside down. Is the delicate phrase. Yeah. Delicate phrase, yes. I mean, the ministry we were working working for was imploding. Okay. But one of the one of the things that we would always say to each other was, "Well, I'm still sleeping like a baby at night. I'm able to mm-hmm. go to sleep. I'm not lying awake at night." That was a very powerful indicator of soul rest and the rest that comes only from the Lord being mm-hmm. present. Because if let me just tell you, if, if our minds were were set on 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 the flesh or on 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 the things the Gentiles pursue, so to speak, we would have been chewing on our nails all night long thinking oh god what about my future what am i going to do what about my 401k everything's everything's up in the air what are we going to do the whole world is coming and then financial collapse now i know i've just described what happens to many of you when you're lying in your bed at night but again one of the powerful indicators that if you're if, you know of practicing rest is an abil- is going to be an ability you're going to be able to sleep again mm-hmm. there's a d- distinguishing thing too i think as we're sorting that out to say that i've found that there's a weariness that comes from worry, which is different than the weariness that comes from good work. And so being tired yeah. as the result of doing good and hard work, you can be weary in that way and deeply satisfied spiritually. It's very enjoyable, actually. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's very enjoyable rest yeah. of um, yeah. that type of satisfaction, but that's different than weariness of worry and and so rest of your soul does not um, preclude the work of your shoulders i think that's uh where we're also where we're ending on that let me read to you it's 10 by the way 10 is the number of times that the word rest is used in hebrews uh, maybe more but he was the, counting the, as we were... <laughs> the ultimate paradigm that um hebrews is using as it talks about us thinking about rest in its future is the children of israel getting out of Egypt, getting out of bondage, getting out of slavery. The whole situation is the opposite of rest. And then wandering in the wilderness and then being invited into rest. And Hebrews pointing out here that that hasn't been fulfilled. So chapter four of Hebrews, therefore, since entering the promised, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on my oath and my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And so I think you can't get into the rest that is promised without dealing on the first hand with what you're going to do with God's offer uh, to remember that he's the one who's in charge of the world and that he is the one who offers rest. And that rest ultimately is a gift to us from God to be participated in, not something that we create by our frantic work um, and sheer willpower, but it's something to be received and participated in, um, not built and constructed by us. And so what we're ultimately doing in that situation is we're not seeing ourselves as the center of the world that we create or the center of the world that the world serves or the center of the world that creates the rest for other people, recognizing that this is all centered on God and we participate and are invited into that. And the seemingly simple yet sometimes difficult to remember move there is who's really running the world. As Cameron put it, who has this thing in his hands? And when we get that right, then the vistas and the possibilities that open up to us for experiencing genuine rest, even in the midst of chaos, as Jesus said, there will always be, becomes not just a theoretical, but a real practical experience and a real form of spiritual and sometimes even deep physical rest that is not just good for us, but is honoring to the Lord and reminds us to uh, hope well for that which is yet to come. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.